Hello, America, and welcome to a new edition, the New Year's Week edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News, where I hope you had a blessed Christmas weekend. Yes, there was a lot of news. We had the terrible explosion and suicide bombing in Nashville with an RV owner, and uh, we had the uncertainty of whether President Trump would sign the stimulus, COVID relief, uh, and federal spending bill, which he did late last night. But we got through the holidays, and I'm sure we had some good cheer to go with it. Uh, we have our prayers and thoughts going out to those in Nashville trying to recover from all of the damage. Those poor small business owners who've already endured COVID all year now, seeing their businesses physically destroyed by a bomb, uh, that we need to keep them in your prayers and thoughts and, and uh, support them any way that you can. So today, we're going to do something special this week. Today, I have an original podcast with the great lawyer, talk show host, uh, author, Larry Elder. He's here to talk about his new documentary, Uncle Tom, which is a very powerful movie about the uh, rejection, the ostracization of conservative African-Americans in the African-American community. It's one of the hottest um, documentaries of the year, right up there with Amanda Milius's plot to get the president. And um, we thought today, we talked to Larry about what motivated him, what the reaction has been, what people are saying and doing to uh, move the ball forward on this. It's a tremendous, um, a tremendous uh, documentary. If you haven't seen it, please do. There are some really cogent examples from business people to political figures, all talking about <clears throat> the monolithism that's been imposed on the African-American community, the ostracization, if you dare to challenge liberal uh, thinking in the African-American community, uh, and a hopeful shift that we saw in the 2020 uh, vote this year, where more minorities, Hispanic, Asians, and African-Americans tilted towards the Republican Party to Donald Trump. Uh, Larry talks about all of those things uh, in this great interview. I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, and the rest of this week, we're going to pull out some of our favorite uh, podcast for the year. So Tuesday through Friday, we're going to do some of our favorites from 2020. Uh, definitely Amanda Milius is going to be up there. I bet you a Devin Nunez or Ron Johnson slips in there. Uh, but we'll, um, we'll pull all that together for you and uh, allow you to kind of enjoy the best hits of the year. And we'll be back with original programming next Monday, January 4th. Uh, I hope you have a blessed New Year's week that the new year 2021 rings in with great hope and great aspiration and less trauma like uh, the year 2020 has given us. It has been a difficult year, to say the least. All right, folks, in a, we're going to go to a quick commercial break here from our wonderful sponsors and advertisers. When we come back, first thing we're going to do, we're going to talk to Larry Elder about his new documentary, Uncle Tom. This is one you don't want to miss. We'll be right back. Hey folks, you know what? A small regret is slouching in the dentist chair thinking I should have brushed and flossed better. A big health regret is listening to your doctor and thinking I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. I have that regret a lot. Better health today and when it matters most is why I take Field of Greens. Field of Greens is unlike any fruit and vegetable or green product. Field of Greens isn't watered down extracts. Field of Greens is an organic superfood. It's whole fruits and vegetables. Each fruit and vegetable was selected by doctors to support vital body functions like heart, 
liver, kidneys, metabolism, and of course, your immune system. And only Field of Greens is backed by a better health promise. At your next checkup, your doctor will notice your improved health or you're going to get your money back. Don't look back and say, I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. Field of Greens is a key to better health today, right now, and when it matters most. Let's get you started with 15% off and free shipping. All you got to do is visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS at checkout. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And as promised, a very special guest. You've heard his syndicated radio show across the country. He's an author and a lawyer and one of the most popular documentarians of 2020. Larry Elder is joining the show. Larry, welcome back. John, thank you so much for having me. I wish I could say I was a popular uh, documentarian uh, for, with our mainstream media, however. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, America has spoken, and we know how, how much people have loved this extraordinary documentary, Uncle Tom. And uh, why don't we start? I, I always love to ask people, what gave you the inspiration to do this project? I mean, it's had a tremendous impact, but what inspired you to do it? Well, a young director uh, came to me uh, named Justin Malone, who, by the way, happens to be white and told me that he wanted to do a film called Uncle Tom, which I thought was a pretty striking title, and that it was going to be a history of America from the perspective of, uh, of black conservatives. And I thought that was an interesting idea. And he wanted to interview me for the film. So I interviewed with him, and he disappeared. I'd hear from him for several months. It's not uncommon, John, for young filmmakers to come to me and tell me they have this wonderful project. Uh, I spend some time with them, and I never hear them again, hear from them again. And I assumed it was going to be this guy. This guy calls me about three months later, and he says, remember me? And I kind of barely did. And he said, let me come by and show you the footage. And you've seen the film, John, and he showed it to me, and I loved the way it was shot in black and white. He'd only interviewed one other person, and I loved the way he had done it. And I said, how far are you along towards getting this film? And to make a long story short, if this were a baseball game, he was in the top half of the first inning. I said, how much money do you have? He said, I have none. How much do you think it'll take? He said, about a half million. I said, let me raise the money for you. Uh, let me get involved. Uh, let, me, let me control the project as executive producer, co-write it, uh, and let's get this thing done. And so it took us about two and a half years to, to do that, and, and I did. And, and John, I've got to tell you something. Uh, the movie so far has gross earnings of seven times its cost, and that was before it launched on iTunes, on Amazon Prime, uh, and uh, before it became available on Walmart, both online and in stores. Uh, the movie has done, uh, you know, by, by Hollywood terms, anytime a movie does three times its cost, it's a successful film. Seven times is, is mind-boggling. Yet, there have been three best of documentary year-end lists that just came out within the last few weeks. Uncle Tom not mentioned on any of them. Even though Uncle Tom has a higher IMDB rating, International Movie Database rating, than any film on any of the three lists. Moreover, I looked at the IMDB ratings, John, of the last ten winners of best film, best documentary Oscars. Not a single one of them has an IMDB rating in the nines, and Uncle Tom has a, has a rating 9.0. So, it is more popular from, from, a, from a viewer perspective than any film that won an Oscar in the last 10 years, more popular from a viewer perspective than any of the films listed on three major uh, year-end best uh, documentaries of the 2020 year lists, and, and completely ignored. Completely. Yeah, it actually <laughs> affirms... It, it affirms the message of the movie that uh, you can't have an intelligent, healthy discussion about conservatism in the black community because the media won't allow it to happen. They ignore it. They suffocate it. They cancel it. Right. 
It's, and, uh, and you know, John, I'm 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 those who doesn't I I don't look for the the worst possible reason for anything. So I'm I'm thinking, okay, maybe maybe the reason uh, my film didn't make IndieWire. IndieWire is probably the leading publication for independent films right. uh, in the country. It didn't make IndieWire's list. IndieWire had 15 films on it. I said, okay, maybe the problem is that Uncle Tom hasn't been viewed, uh, hasn't had as many uh, 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 viewer reviews as these other films, so therefore they don't know about it. Yeah. So I looked at it. The, the film on the list that has the most number of reviews is one called Social Dilemma, 58,000. By far more reviews than any other, other film on the list. The second highest is called Athlete A with 6,000 plus. My film has 4,000. The rest of the films on the list range from 56, not 5,600, 56 to 2,000. So there are only two films on this list that seem to have to have more reader reviews, which I would think would translate into how many people see the, 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 the film. And so it's not that. It's just been completely ignored. It's unbelievable. It, it, um, it's it's, it's uh, so indicative of what we've seen over the last six and uh, seven years where uh, cancel culture uh, ignores the extraordinary capabilities and discussion and achievements. I, in, in, I think one of the interviews I saw you do recently, you talked about the difference between um, oh Noah uh, uh, from uh, uh, the com- uh, Comedy Channel and and Ben Carson. And Ben Carson has this extraordinary right. level of achievement. No one's you know just done a show. I mean, a good show. I mean, people have you know he's made a lot of famous you know uh, uh, a lot of fame from it but the the society barely pays attention to Den, dr ben carson anymore uh, what when does this change how do we change this when do we realize that this is a nothing more than I- I- ignoramus and and uh, censorship well, that's what the movie explores, and uh, you hear these these black people. Some of them are are, are older black people. People like Herman Cain is in there. Uh, Alan West is in there, right. and they talk about their own experiences. And it's really a love letter to America. It, it isn't a, a whitewashing part of the expression of America. It isn't right. saying that America doesn't have flaws, but for crying out loud, it's saying that we are quintessentially Americans, meaning black people, uh, and that we have struggled mightily to become uh, the success that we are. You know, Walter Williams once told me that black people in America have come further ahead from further behind arguably than any other people in the history of the world if black uh, if the black GDP were if black people were a separate country our gross GDP would be the 15th or 16th highest gross GDP in the world in the 90s 90s a black Harvard sociologist who's still there uh, and every sociologist I've ever met is left wing this guy's no different he voted twice for Obama in the 90s John he said America uh, despite its flaws is now the least racist majority white society in all of the world provides more opportunities and more legal protections for for blacks than any other country uh, in the world, including all of those of Africa. Now, he said that in the 90s. That was before Obama got elected, let alone re-elected. And speaking of whom, Obama, as you know, is featured in the film. He is, absolutely. And one of the reasons we put him in the film is because of all the hope and promise uh, that America, in my opinion, thought that that we had achieved when Obama got elected. Martin Luther King is mentioned in the film. In the early 60s, he gives an interview, and he says, I am surprised at the racial progress I've seen in America over the last two years. 
things are changing so quickly that we might be able to have a black president in about 40 years. He said there's somebody, there are black people who are qualified right now to be president, but because of the, of the conditions of the country, you can't expect that. But in 40 years' time, I believe we could become, uh, there, uh, there could be a black president. He didn't say in 40 years' time there could be a black president of a, of a Ivy League university. Right. There could be a black coach of Notre Dame. There could be black uh, people who are CEOs of Fortune 500 companies, all of which have happened, by the way. He said the pinnacle, the mountaintop, is the presidency. He did it. And, and Obama got and a he was right on the money of, of in the terms white. of the time. It was forty years, and got a high, <laughs> almost 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 to the year. Yes, and, and Obama got a higher percentage of the white vote than John Kerry did. So cut it out. Um, there was a two thousand and seven poll Gallup. Uh, this is when uh, Obama and Hillary are duking it out on the on the Republican side. John McCain and Mitt Romney are duking it out, and Gallup asked. Under what circumstances would you never, what percentage of you would never vote for a black person, never vote for a woman, referring to Hillary, never vote for a Mormon, referring to Romney, never vote for somebody who would be 72 years of age when he becomes president, referring to McCain? 5% of Americans said they would never vote for a black person. 11% said they would never vote for a female. 24% said they would never vote for a Mormon. 42% said they would never vote for somebody that old when he became president. So Obama had a smaller hurdle than these, than these three white politicians. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? <laughs> wow. So, so racism has never been a less significant factor in American life than the year 2020. But you look at the streets, you look at the people going out in the streets and yelling and screaming, you would, you would, you would think the opposite. Yeah. It, it's, it's nonsense. And 1997, Time Magazine and CNN did an extensive poll survey of black teens and white teens on racism. And they asked both of them, is racism a major problem in America? Again, 1997, so 23 years ago. And both said yes, not too surprisingly. But then they asked the black teens, John, is racism a major problem, a small problem, or no problem in your own daily life? 89% of the black teens said racism was a small problem or no problem in my own daily life. Wow. In fact, more black teens than white teens said failure to take advantage of available opportunities is a bigger problem than racism. Again, more black teens said yes to that proposition than did uh, white teens. So what are we talking about here? I've been on the air for almost 30 years, and in 30 years, I've tried to get Jeffy Jackson on for a sit-down interview, won't do it. McKay, uh, 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 Louis Farrakhan won't do it. Sharpton won't do it. Maxine Waters won't do it. But one time, I was able to get one of these so-called black leaders to do a sit-down interview with me, and it was Kawese and Fumi. We didn't do it in studio. It was on the phone. He, at the time, Kawese and Fumi was the president of the NAACP. right. And, and I was surprised he agreed to come on, but he did. My first question out of the gate, John, Mr. Infume, as between the presence of white racism or the absence of black fathers, which poses the bigger threat to the black community? To his credit, without missing a beat, he said the absence of black fathers. Mm. Now, the question is, why are 70% of black kids born without a father married to the mother in the house, as opposed to 25% in 1965? I argue that the welfare state has incentivized women to marry the yeah. government and, allow, and has allowed men to abandon their financial and moral responsibilities. Very powerful We're not message even in the that. documentary. Yeah. 
we're not even, we're not even having that discussion. No, but, we're not. But George Floyd uh, dies. We go into the streets, uh, and there's all this protesting. Never mind the lack of data. The data are not there. We're having a discussion about whether or not there's widespread evidence of voter fraud. The Democrats want widespread evidence of voter fraud. Well, there isn't any evidence, let alone widespread evidence, of systemic racism against black people by the police, yet they're out there in the streets burning and yelling and screaming. Uh, it's bizarre. Why is that? When you look out, I mean, you've done a lot of thinking, and I think you answered some of this in the documentary, but, and remarkable, you started this about two and a half years, almost three years before George Floyd's death, correct? Right. Um, Why is it that we keep having these tinder uh, fire moments uh, where the media, uh, the Democratic politicians, and the African-American community have these moments of, of rage. What, what is leading to it? If, if they don't feel racism a problem, right? That's how they answer the poll questions. Mm-hmm. What is leading it? Is it manufactured? I, I think it is manufactured. Uh, Thomas Sowell put it this way. He said, racism is not dead, but it's on life support. Uh, kept alive by Democrats, by media, uh, that need to have racism for their own uh, purposes. The reason that the politicians like Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and Barack Obama pull out the race cards is that they know if they can get black people does not think about quality of education, not think about safety, not thinking about bad economic policy. But think only and solely about race and racism. We can get 95% of these guys to pull the lever for us. That's their MO. The media does it for ratings. And I'm sure a lot of young people sincerely believe that race and racism are are major problems in America because they've been trained by what I call the access of indoctrination, Hollywood, academia, and media. That's how they've been raised. But if you ask yourself on a day-to-day basis on what really matters, what is stopping a black person, a a female, a gay person from succeeding in America? And the answer is nothing, Not, 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 not very much. We all have uh, have different advantages and, and weaknesses, but the biggest advantage is being born to a mom and a dad in the home. A black kid who is poor, born to a mother and father in the home, will have a better life outcome than a white kid uh, raised by a single mom uh, who is middle class. So the question we ought to be asking ourselves is, what can we do to enhance uh, our educational system, K through 12? Answer is choice in school, uh, but the Democrats are adamantly opposed to it, believe that it uh, undermines uh, education, public education, and the Democratic Party is wedded to the teachers' union. So the, the number one route to, uh, the, to the middle class is not to become a boxer uh, like, like Mike Tyson or to become a basketball player like LeBron, like LeBron James. I know these are successful stories out of the hood, but the average person coming out of the hood, John, it's going to do it the old-fashioned way through hard work and education. And we ought to be asking ourselves, why do we have 13 public high schools in Baltimore where 0% of kids can do math at grade level and another 6 where only 1% can? And yet the, the Democrats oppose choice, even though polls show the majority of urban parents, black and brown parents, want school choice. majority of, of white Democrats who wouldn't put their kid in a, in a public school on a bet uh, don't want choice in public school and public education. So why is it that black people are pulling that lever uh, like like uh, like automatons for the Democratic Party when they oppose choice, couldn't care less about porous borders, even though unskilled illegal aliens compete for jobs that would otherwise be held by unskilled black and brown workers, and couldn't care less about the job-killing damage that policies like the minimum wage uh, are doing, and they still want a $15 minimum wage. I go on and on and on. But the the film is hopeful. The the film is a love letter to America. What the film says is, you are part and parcel of America. One of my favorite quotes in the film is made by a a, a guy named Kingface, who's sitting on the couch, you might remember, and he said, you know, we own this place, too. Our blood is on this soil. That's right. And we've shed blood in every single war, including the, uh, the Revolutionary War. In fact, the first casualty was a black man, Crispus Attucks. 
Isn't that amazing? It's just, uh, there was a guy in the film that really jumped out to me, and you talked about you know the there's a stereotypical path you, you get out of the hood because you're going to become an NBA star, an NFL star, baseball star, whatever it is. But you had some role models in there, and that, there was a businessman. Um, I'm going to draw a blank. His name Chad Jackson, I think his name was. Yeah, and right. He's just a guy that you know, built himself and his small business contractor from the ground up, and he you know he's inspiring, and he's uh, he has a dignity and a um, a calmness to him. And and you say to yourself, why can't we have more role models like this? And then, oh, by the way, he's conservative. It turns out you wouldn't know, but he's conservative. Um, and, and, and that's right. And he's and he really is the backbone of the film. He's the spirit of the film. He's the star yeah. of the film. And yeah. he's a contractor in Dallas, as you pointed out. And he's a, a Christian yeah. and has always been a Democrat. And one time told a fellow Christian he didn't like uh, Democrats. And, he, and the fellow Christian said, Have you read the party platforms of both parties? And Chad said no, and he did. <laughs> After he read him, he said, "Damn, I'm a Republican." And it's about the grief he got from friends and family after that's what he was converted. so telling. Yeah, yeah. Uh, social rejection and isolation, just because right. he exercised his will. I mean, it's a it's a form of reverse racism that you you're not allowed to think for yourself, and and uh, it's remarkable. You talked about school choice, and we just had a story at Just the News a couple of days ago. Uh, that they, there was $58 billion new dollars in the uh, stimulus bill for education, but it had a prohibition that none of it could go to vouchers or any of the elements that make up the school choice um, uh, agenda. And so there was a ban on it. And you just have to ask yourself, how many times does the community watch the Congress and the Democrats do this and realize they're not listening to what, what the community is asking and wanting and seeing work? It's, um, it's, it's a remarkable thing. Do you think Donald Trump has had any impact in and changing the dynamism um, in in the African American community, opening a path for them to at least consider Republicans. Absolutely, he has increased uh, his share of the black vote uh, to levels we haven't seen since maybe uh, uh, Gerald Ford. Uh, he has he's had the courage to go to the inner city. I campaigned with him in Cleveland at a black church. I remember church, that. Out loud. Yeah, that's right. And he talked about vouchers there. And uh, so he made an attempt. I've always felt, as you saw in the film, Republicans write us off. Uh, Republicans don't even try, and Democrats write us off. Uh, and Donald Trump made an effort and dramatically shifted the amount of, of, of people of color, to use that term, uh, who, who voted for him. And maybe that's going to uh, cause a movement. Now, if you look at uh, the percentage of black votes in the last four election cycles, it's edged up little by little by little uh, towards being less and less Democratic. Still overwhelmingly, but little by little it's, being, it's changing. And I think it's done so for the reason I mentioned. Racism is no longer a major problem in America. Uh, and the real problems are what's going on with these crappy urban schools and what can we do to, to encourage marriage, encourage men to step up to their, uh, to their obligations to their children. Those are the major problems facing the black community. I have said, John, that if you get out a magic wand, wave it over America, remove every smidgen of racism from the hearts of white America. It's all gone now. Do we still have 70% of black kids raised outside of wedlock? Yes. Do we still have a 50% urban dropout rate? Yes. Do we still have 25% of young black men uh, with criminal records either arrested in jail, on, paro on parole, or on probation? Yes. Then I submit racism is not the problem, and, and trying to, to, to stamp it out is not the solution. It's such an important point, and we're missing the, the uh, such enormous levers of opportunity to, to fix communities, that you know the, the, the constant black-on-black -black violence, 
violence, the fear of living in right. your, even in your own neighborhood, in your own home. Um, I'd say, there was an interesting stat. You mentioned the 70%, and, and that's a jaw-dropping uh, number, and it's been growing for years. But before the Great Society uh, began, uh, you had a statistic in the film. I think it was only 25%. So with all of the help of the Great Society program, that trend has actually gotten worse, not better. It's made its work. That's why I say the welfare state has caused women to marry the government and has allowed yeah. men to abandon their financial and moral responsibility. And you talk Such about wasted energy uh, and wasted wasted time. The three arguably most powerful so-called black leaders in America are Jesse Jackson, uh, Al Sharpton, right. and Louis Farrakhan. All three have very important stories to tell about their fathers. In the case of Jesse Jackson, uh, Jesse Jackson's mother was a teen mom who got impregnated by the married man who lived next door. Jesse Jackson grew up in South Carolina at the time, growing up without a dad was rare. He was taught it. Jesse ain't got no daddy. Jesse ain't got no daddy. I'm convinced one of the reasons this man does not see the tremendous progress uh, that has happened in race relations over the last 30 years is because of, of the pain that he experienced growing up without a father. And I'm not a psychologist, but I got to imagine it's done some damage. Al Sharpton, nice middle-class life until his father abandoned the family, down to the hood. Uh, Louis Farrakhan, Farrakhan's mother was estranged from, uh, from her husband, had a boyfriend, took back up with Farrakhan's father, didn't want the boyfriend to know that she got pregnant, and tried to abort Farrakhan with a coat hanger. Now, all three of these men could and should tell this story because it is the most important story we should be telling now. You should step up to your obligations to your children. Black people, unfortunately, are not doing it. There's a wonderful book called His Father's Faith, written by a religious writer named James Robeson. Sure. And he, and he wanted to improve the morale at the prison where he was a chaplain. He went to a local prison, uh, local uh, greeting card company and asked for 500 greeting cards for Mother's Day. And the greeting card company thought it would be good PR, so he gave him 500 free cards. He went to the prison, gave them to the men, they filled them out, and morale improved. So Father's Day rolls around, John. You know where I'm going with this story. He goes to the same company, gets 500 (laughs) cards. Not a single inmate, not one, wanted to fill out a card and send it to Dad. Not Mm. one. Now, what does it tell you? Mm. Yeah, completely disassociated. It's... um... It's an unbelievable dynamic, and it's a sad dynamic, and it has to get reversed. I mean, the, 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 the greatest form of racism today is, is failed schools and in, in incomplete families. I mean, it's, there's no doubt about it. You know, here's, here's another one. I always try to use left-wing people to make my points whenever I can. <laughs> uh, Barack Obama said, uh, a kid raised without a father is five times more likely to be poor uh, and commit crime, nine times more likely to drop out of school, 20 times more likely to end up in jail. Now, I read Obama's first book, Dreams of My Father. He was pained because he was not raised by his biological father. It really caused him a great deal of anguish. That's why he wrote the book. Right. And he has talked about uh, lack of fathers, but not very often, because whenever he does, there's pushback. He's accused of blaming the victim, so he backs away. Right. No, it really it is remarkable. The um, There was a moment in the movie, I think it was Candace Owen may have said it. I, uh, forgive me if I have the wrong person, but she said something in the fact that I'm, I'm like an alarm clock. You mm-hmm. don't want to hear it, but at some point you know you got to wake up. Um, that was Candace. That was Candace. That was yeah, Candace. that sounds just that like her Candace. too. She's an amazing. Uh, Isn't she amazing? Oh God, the dynamism and, and her, her intellect is remarkable. We, is there a wake up moment ahead for us? We're about to head into uh, an era if President Trump leaves office, where uh, uh, priorities like reparations, killing school choice, um, right. increasing the welfare state are going to be the priorities of a Democratic Congress and and of a Democratic administration. How? 
does the all the important points that you make in this movie the the real solutions to what we're what ails america how do we keep them on the radar how do we get them into the agenda how do we make them happen when those in uh, at least the democratic power are going to try to create the antithetical agenda we have to be active we have to tell the truth uh, I am uh, honored to be on the board of directors of Blexit. That's the organization that Candace Owens has set up. Right. Uh, there are now about uh, chapters in, in, in more than half the states, uh, and we're trying to get the message out. Rethink your assumptions. Uh, who is best for you? What policies will best uh, give you the, the tools it makes for you to compete in America? Uh, complaining about racism, uh, maligning the police, uh, is that going to improve safety? There's something called the Ferguson effect. The Ferguson effect is when officers pull back for fear of being called racist. The bad guys know that. Also, what happens is this business about the police out to get you causes young black men who believe this stuff uh, to interact in a very wary way with the police. I mean, why would you cooperate with the police if you, in fact, feel they're going to kill you once they pull you over? So it's doing a great deal of damage uh, to how the, the police are perceived by, by young black men, how young black men perceive the police, and the data, one more time, are simply not there. If anything, the police are more hesitant, more reluctant to pull the trigger on a black person than on a white person. There's a... Uh, 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 Economist, black economist at Harvard named Rolling Fryer. Right. He just knew, John, that the police were mowing down people just because they were black. And he was surprised no one had done a study to corroborate it. So he thought he would do one. He was shocked. He, he said, was. These are the most shocking findings of my professional career. Not only are the police not engaging in systemic racism, if anything, they're more hesitant, more reluctant to use deadly force against blacks than against whites or even Hispanics. <laughs> so, so knock it off. Work hard. Uh, I've seen graphs of how much time black kids versus Hispanic kids versus white kids versus Asian kids spend uh, every night. Uh, homework is night and day. Even Hispanic kids are spending more time on homework than black kids. Uh, if there's a correlation between how many hours you spend on your free throw and your jump shot, when you think there's a correlation between how well you're going to do uh, in your subjects, uh, between how much homework you do, I mean, these are not hard things, but not having a mother and a father in the house and being influenced by a bunch of knuckleheads and by people like uh, Jesse Jackson and Sharpton telling you you're a victim, this isn't helping anything. Yeah, no, it's not at all. Black Lives Matter has become such a force. Uh, it was certainly taken four years, but 2020 was the year of its extraordinary rise. And yet just a few days ago, a majority black city, the city of Detroit, uh, sued Black Lives Matter, saying that it engaged in a civil conspiracy to turn things violent and endanger the lives of police and public. Really a remarkable lawsuit, a, a remarkable rejection of what seemed to be everybody's sort of poster child. Let's just give a lot of money to this group and it'll make the problems go away. But um, uh, do you think that's the beginning of an awakening of a, hey, uh, we, we need to have a different conversation here. We can't let violence and, and uh, show stage uh, protesting uh, dominate this debate. What did you think of the city of Detroit's lawsuit? Well, uh, I'm not surprised that, that somebody finally filed something. Here's what bothers me. I think probably the most influential black person in America today is Barack Obama. Mm -hmm. He probably has more influence. Uh, people probably listen to him more than anybody. Look at his Twitter feed, right. his social yeah. media following. He, he's, he's got a bigger foot than anybody else. Right. I am confident, John, if Barack Obama were in the room as you and I are having our conversation, and he were being honest, he would be nodding his head at every damn thing you and I just now said. Here's why I know this. I said I read his book. In his book, there's a character named Ray. And Ray is very much like Al Sharpton, always bitching and moaning and whining about racism. <laughs> and Obama chastises him and says, knock it off. 
Maybe at some time we needed that, but not now, meaning things have changed. Obama ran for Congress in Chicago uh, when he was a state senator. He got his clock cleaned. He ran against Bobby Rush, a former Black Panther. And the reason he ran against him is because he thought he was too much like Sharpton, played the race card, and he thought he was irresponsible. Now, as I mentioned, Obama gave a talk at a black church when he was a senator before he decided to run. And he was talking about how far we had to go. And he said this, the Moses generation, referring to the generation of Martin Luther King, the Moses generation, he said at this black church, has, quote, gotten us 90% of the way there, end of quote. And I thought that was reasonable, because I saw a Fox Opinion poll, John, 2002, 8% 8% of Americans believe Elvis is still alive, or that there's a strong possibility that he is. So as far yeah. as I'm concerned, we can write off 8%. I think so, so maybe yeah. there's yeah, have that, that's of Americans left to go. Right. And he said, uh, the Joshua generation, my generation, has to get us that additional 10%. Now, that's before he became president, let alone re-elected. So don't you think we've, we, we've kind of sliced into that 10% a little bit? And I read a very long and thorough piece uh, in either Time or Newsweek, I forget which one, about when Obama decided to run for president. He brought in all his homies, Valerie Jarrett and, and David Plouffe and Axelrod and everybody, to decide if he should run. The article said race wasn't even mentioned. Isn't that That amazing? is how serious wow. Obama thought racism really was in America. Yeah. And I'll give you another example. Uh, when Obama decided to run, his first 60 Minutes interview was with Steve Croft. I'm at home by myself. And Croft said to him, Senator, if you don't get this, if you don't win this race, will it be because of racism? And I sat back, I folded my arms, I said, let's see what this man says. And he said, no, if I don't get the nomination, if I don't win this race, it will be because I have not articulated a vision for America that Americans can embrace. And I said, wow, hallelujah. I'm not going to vote for a tax spend regulate Democrat, but at least he's not what I call a victocrat. Fast forward, what happens, John? The Cambridge police acted stupidly. Remember that? I do. I do. That was when his friend Skip Gates, the Harvard professor, uh, had come home from vacation, yep. forgot his door key, broke into his own home with his taxi driver. An astute neighbor calls 911, doesn't recognize him. Don't you want your neighbors to do that? Yes. And the police officer shows up very politely, asks him to come out of the house to make sure that he and the house belong to each other. Right. And instead of poli- politely cooperating, he says, I'll come out if your mama tells me to come out or something like that. Wow. Obama knows this man, Skip Gates, for a long time. They're friends. Yep. And instead of Obama saying, I spoke to my friend Skip Gates last night. I said, Skip, you're a role model for crying out loud. You're a Harvard tenured professor. Yep. This is how you treat a cop who's doing his job and politely asks you a civil instruction? Is that the message we need to tell our young black men? Instead, what did Obama do? The Cambridge police acted yeah. stupidly. Yep. It ticked off police officers all around it the did. country. Uh, if I had a son, he'd look like Trayvon. Oh, America has its own problems. There's this place called Ferguson. Because the politician Obama, John, knows he needs to play the race card to get that 95% monolithic vote. The but intellectual the Obama, one knows the other, the opposite, right? That's what you learned from <laughs> yeah, the book. He, he, yeah. had a white girlfriend and he had a white girlfriend in his book. Yeah. And she was, came from a good family, came from right. a very prestigious family. They loved him. Yeah. They embraced him. He dumped her because he wanted a political career and thought she would be a liability. Wow. So don't give me this crap about racism holding 
him back? Yeah, no, that's it. You know, I, I, it must have been seven, eight years ago. Uh, I was the editor of the Washington Times, and Tom Sowell dropped by, and he said something to me, and it's been a long time, but it still resonates in my mind today, that the uh, single greatest tool of repression uh, for the African-American community is the uh, false ideology of victimology, that, that the way Democrats and intellectuals um, continue to make a victimization narrative for everything that happens in the African-American community actually represses the ability of the community to really address what it wants to do. do you, I know you hold Tom Sowell in such enormous uh, regard. Have we, is it sort of just a, uh, are we stuck in this chronic uh, victimology uh, narrative that we can't get out and see the silliness that we're, we're trapped in and how we can move forward? Is, is victim, victimology sort of become a repressive tool? I think it has. It certainly has become a tool that Democrats, again, use to manipulate you. Harry Reid once said, I don't see how anybody could become, anybody who's Hispanic would become a Republican. And when Joe Biden said to that uh, yeah. talk show host, uh, if you don't know whether or not you want to vote for, for Trump or me, you ain't really black. Right. And he got he got hammered. I, I have no idea why the man got hammered. Black people and black Democrats have been saying this for decades. Yeah. Just the year before, Ayanna Presley, one of the uh, one of the squad members. Squad, yeah. uh, she was at a Netroots conference, and she said, and I'm paraphrasing, but she said, we don't need any more black faces who don't want to be a black voice. We don't need any more Hispanic faces who don't want to be Hispanic voice. We don't need any more gay faces who don't want to be a gay voice. What is that saying other than what Joe Biden said? Yeah. There's only one way to be black, be brown, or to be gay, and that is to think like us. Otherwise, you're not Mon really a black or brown or a gay person. Monolithism. Same thing. Yeah, no, it's such an extraordinary... I'm in, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in California, John, and uh, a guy named Ward Connolly, a black man who was married to a white woman, uh, led the fight to get rid of race-based preferences here in California called right. Proposition 209. Right, right. And a, a political opponent named Diane Watson, she was a local lawmaker, but later on she ran for, for the House, U.S. House, and got elected. She said this to him. Let me tell you why you want to get rid of affirmative action. You're married to a white woman. You have no ethnic pride. You want to be white. That's why you want to get rid of affirmative action. The next day when reporters asked her if she said it, she said, that's right, I said it, and I don't take it back, and never did. And then ran for a house, as I mentioned, and got elected and got reelected a few times. I mean, Scotty Beam, David Duke couldn't say that and get away with it. <laughs> no. Can you imagine if Trump had said something like that? Yeah, Are you not, kidding me? Not even a chance. Nope. Yeah. Yeah, it's a double standard. There's no doubt about it. The the thought police in the media and then the intellectual intelligentsia um, political elites are there. The, the, the real question for all of us is, at what point do the masses in America that don't subscribe to all of this silliness and the intelligentsia, at what point do they take the country back? And do you see, as you look out over the next couple of years, what are the opportunities for progress? What, what, what are you looking uh, to uh, measure and see happen to to get a different debate going in this country, get a different set of solutions in, in place? Well, I see a growing movement towards school choice. Uh, uh, and part of it, ironically, is because of the coronavirus pandemic. I think a lot of parents are beginning to funny? see the crap that their kids, yeah. the crap their kids are learning, uh, all the indoctrination their kids are learning. So I'm seeing a growing movement towards towards choice in school. Uh, hopefully there'll be more pressure uh, to, to have uh, local school boards adopt choice. Uh, President Trump was a champion of choice. Betsy DeVos, a big champion of choice. So I'm seeing that. Uh, I'm also seeing, uh, you know, when I look at the polls, the majority of black people don't support uh, defunding 
defunding the police, don't support uh, these uh, young people in the streets yelling and screaming about uh, uh, police brutality. The, right. the, the normal people recognize that the police are, are necessary. I, I, I got a quote of Tupac Shakur. He said, black people need the police more than anybody else because we have more crime than anybody else. Yeah, uh, and, and, and by the way, Tupac, speaking of him, he once said this. He grew up also without a father. He said, uh, I know a lot of white people love to hear black people say this. I don't like to say this out loud, he said. But I know for a fact that had I had a father in my life, I would have been more disciplined and I would have been more confident, end of quote. Now, have you ever seen anybody who, do, who looked less, looked more confident than this guy? Never. Here he is admitting he wasn't <laughs> yes. confident because he did not have a father. That's right. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Under the shell. Well, uh, Larry, first, congratulations on the success of Uncle Tom. It may not get the validation from the Hollywood elitists, but it has gotten the validation of such a large number of Americans. It's such an important dialogue. Remind people how they can get this. It, it cracked right? Amazon recently. We're all, what are all the ways? Yeah, you could, that, if you haven't watched it, you can see, the easy, see it. The easiest way is just to go to UncleTom.com. Uh, you can also go to iTunes. It's also on Amazon Prime and on Walmart, both online on, on, and on shelves. But the, probably the easiest way is uh, UncleTom.com. UncleTom.com. Well, we're going to do something special uh, this week here at Just the News and uh, offer an opportunity for our readers to, to engage and, and, and watch us. And uh, we're just so proud of the movie. We're so proud of the dialogue that it raised. And it, when you think it was conceived two, three years ago, it couldn't have hit any better time than the summer of 2020 when we had all of the crises that we, we faced. And um, we wish you well. You're such an important voice in, for all of America, and um, we, uh, we're just so glad that you're, you're uh, educating us and, and inspiring us to have a conversation that a lot of people are afraid to have. Well, John, thank you for giving me so much time. I really do appreciate it. Well, it's, a, it's an important conversation. We'll talk to you after the first year, and we wish you a happy new year. You too. Happy new year. All right, folks. We're going to come back in a few seconds and wrap things up for the day. But first, a few messages from our great advertisers and sponsors. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders, while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with BiteClear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. BiteClear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. All right, folks, that wraps up another edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News. The rest of this week, we're going to be playing some of my favorite podcasts of the year. I hope you enjoy that. And um, we'll be back uh, early next year, uh, January 4th, to start a new round of uh, podcasts. If we have breaking news this week, of course, we'll whip out a special edition of the podcast. But absent that, 
And we're going to stay focused on letting you cherish your family and spend some downtime during this holiday week. And we'll play some of our favorites. Hope you enjoyed Larry Elder. A lot of food for thought in that interview. Uh, tell your friends about that. There's a special offer on Just the News right now to listen to the podcast uh, or, excuse me, to listen or watch, download the movie Uncle Tom uh, after listening to the podcast. I hope that's helpful to you. And um, we wish you a happy new year, a blessed new year. Enjoy this holiday week between Christmas and New Year. Enjoy your family. We'll be back next week with a whole new slate of John Solomon Reports podcasts. Yep, from your favorite folks at Just the News. Just the News.